Someone said one way to answer that question is to be able to answer this question, and that question is this. What if there were no limits in your life? What if you had all the money and all the time in the world? There were no limits in your life. If that were true, what would you do? Where would you go? Who would you spend time with? Now, for some people, those are easy answers to some easy questions, right? Many people would say, well, what would I do? Well, I'd, I'd eat bacon. Well, well, where would you go? Well, I'd go to the bacon store. And who'd you spend time with? Well, I'd spend time with bacon. I mean, you know, easy answers to difficult questions. But truthfully, we cannot spend all of our time with bacon. We know that because we'll end up at the cardiologist, and the cardiologist will tell us that we've got to change our diet, and then we'll have to say to the cardiologist, please, doc, don't go bacon my heart. So here's a similar question. What are you doing with your life now? What do you want to do with your life? What are you doing with your life now? Famed, iconic cinema professional Alfred Hitchcock said this, In feature films, the director is God. In documentary films, God is the director. So what are you doing in your life right now? Are you living your life as if you are the director? As if this is a, a feature film about your life and you're in charge of what's happening? If so, that movie will not end the way that you hope. What are you doing with your life now? And let's take it just one step deeper. What does God want you to do with your life? What does God want you to do? to do with your life? That's what we're going to try to find an answer to today. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 4, verse 42. In this scene, we have Jesus coming off a very, very long day, a long day of helping other people. What does he do the next morning? What does he do the next morning after a really, really long day? Listen to Luke 4, 42. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded Place. What does God want you to do with your life? What if I were to tell you that God wants you to be quiet? Now, not in a mean, bossy way, okay? Not like God saying, hey, hush up, sit down. Uh, a different kind of quiet. Think of this moment in the life of Jesus. He's had a, a tough day, a day where lots of people were coming to him for lots of help. Maybe he got a few hours of rest. We don't know for sure, but, but the next morning he's up. And it's probably not fully morning yet. The sun's up a little bit, but it's not completely up. It's probably still a little bit of, of darkness outside. And Jesus is in a quiet, secluded place. He has gone off by himself. And this isn't a one-hit wonder. This was a sacred pattern in his life. Jesus often went to a secluded place. He often stepped away. But he didn't stay in that secluded place. Eventually, he'd make his way back into the craziness of life and the craziness of world where everybody wants him and, and people are wanting things from him. But when he made it back into that world, he went prepared. His heart and his mind, his body even, was prepared. Time alone with God was not just a sacred pattern for Jesus. It was a sacred priority. This was something he did. Jesus wasn't just going off-grid to, to live out on the land and avoid people. No, Jesus was simply unplugging from his modern world at the time, 
from the shiny baubles of his day, from the gadgets of his day. He was unplugging and spending time alone with God. It really is okay to do that. (laughs) If you didn't know, it's okay. You can unplug from the cloud, okay? You can unplug from that world where you can always access your bank accounts or always access your medical records or always access your favorite episodes of Matlock or DuckTales or whatever it is that you watch. We can detach ourselves from the cloud. Jesus went to be alone with God. It was part of the rhythm of his life. It was part of the, the habit of his life. He would go and be quiet for a little bit. 400 years ago, French mathematician and physicist Blaise Pascal said this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That's quite a statement. The summer after my freshman year in college, I was invited uh, to summer school so that I could actually stay in college. And so that summer was very lonely. I was by myself a lot, and I decided I was going to learn to be alone. And one of the ways I did that is almost every single Friday night, I went to Applebee's in Seneca, South Carolina by myself. I mean, it was packed. There's nothing but date night in there the whole time, and I would go in and prime time sit by myself at a table, and I would just sit and eat and enjoy my meal. I learned to be alone. My people, person, self, I was determined to learn to be alone. And I did. I learned what it meant to sit in a room quietly by myself. Now, granted, it probably means that you should sit quietly in a quiet room, not in a, a restaurant full of people trying to get two-for-one appetizers. But, but I learned how to sit still. I learned how to be quiet. Have you learned how to do that? Have you learned how to sit in a room quietly by yourself? with no radio, with no TV, with, with no smartphone? Have you learned to, to be still? Have you learned to be quiet for a little bit? Is that a rhythm in your life? Is it a habit in your life? Is it something that marks who you are? Now, at least one of you is thinking, <laughs> you don't know my life. <laughs> there, there's no way that I could ever have a quiet moment in my life. That's impossible. Look, I feel you. I mean... I've got two at home, two off at college. I thought things were going to get quieter. Hasn't. It is louder. It is busier. It's more hectic than ever before. And Jesus, he didn't have a quiet life. People were always coming after Jesus. People always needed Jesus. They were always needing something from him. But even though he was always needed, Jesus still found a way to to sneak off in the wilderness for some little retreats. He found a way to get alone with God. So let me just give you this advice. To be alone with God, to be quiet alone with God, it does not always involve you sitting in a comfortable chair out in the middle of a field with a gentle breeze and a few sunlight rays coming through a perfect cloud cover, okay? It's just not always doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, it's good if you can find a place at home that you can be quiet with God in the morning or you can be quiet with God at night. But, but sometimes that's not possible. My best time of quiet with God this past week was eating outside of a soul food restaurant. Yeah, it's amazing what my Bible and a plate of fried chicken and mac and cheese do to help me feel closer to God. It does. It works. 
So your time with God, your time of quiet with God, it may not look like a picture that you see on Instagram, and that's okay. That's all right. Your time of quiet with God may be going through the drive-thru, getting some takeout, and going and sitting out in the parking lot at the mall by yourself, windows down, just being quiet with God. Your time of quiet with God may involve you driving to the lake or maybe walking down by the river, but, but you have to be creative and don't worry about it being perfect. Just make time and make it a habit. Let being quiet with God be a part of the rhythm of your life. So think about the rhythm of your life even now. Think about the the habits of your life now. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? What are some of the things in your life right now that are feeding your heart and your mind and your soul? What are you looking at? What are you listening to? What are you thinking about? What are your feelings that are fueling your heart and your mind and your soul in these days? A few years ago, a former Facebook executive was speaking to students at Stanford University, and he said this about the corrosive nature of social media. He said, the short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. We curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection because we get rewarded in the short term. Signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value, and we conflate it with truth. And instead, what it really is, is fake brittle popularity and that leaves you even more vacant and empty if the habit of your life is to run to the likes of the world you will feel vacant and empty and I can promise you that is not God's desire for your life that's not what God wants to do with your life he does not want you to be empty and vacant Apostle Paul was praying for the folks at Ephesus. And this is what he prayed for them, Ephesians 3.19, that you may be able to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. God has created the love of Christ to be a, a driving force to help you experience the fullness of what it means to know Him, the one true living God. And part of that driving force is silence. Part of that driving force is solitude. It's God's design. Now sure, most of us would say, yeah, I'd like some downtime. I'd like a little, little me time at the lake or at the ocean or, or in the mountains little time alone where I don't have a technology around me and I can just unplug a little bit. All of us would probably say we desire that. But if we look at how most of us are spending our daily lives, what we'll see is that we're running away from quiet. We're running away from solitude. We're, we're trying to, to get away from it. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't. He didn't run away from quiet. He didn't run away from solitude. He ran to it. He ran full force at it because it had purpose in his life. Whether you're 18 or whether you're 80, we all usually have something going on. The radio's going on, the TV's going on, or we're texting or talking or or scrolling on our smartphones. We always have something going on. 
And if we don't have something going on like that, we're sitting in the beauty shop with a stranger or we're walking through the mall with a friend or we're standing at the fence with a neighbor and we're talking about the kids and we're talking about the grandkids and we're talking about the house that's for sale down the street or we're talking about our retirement plans or we're talking about our bass boat or our, our golf clubs or our new table saw. We're, we're always engaged in something. We always have something going on. There's always something happening. Somebody put it this way. We flee silence. We race from activity to activity to avoid having to be alone with ourselves for even a moment, to avoid having to look at ourselves in the mirror. And that sounds like something that was written on Facebook yesterday, but actually it was written in 1928 by German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He eventually was executed for his opposition to the Nazi regime. But what he says is significant because what he's telling us is all the way back to 1928, long before there was social media, at least digital social media, he's reminding us that human beings, we have always struggled with solitude. We've always struggled with being quiet. We've always struggled with being still. Why? Why do we struggle? Why is it there's so many days the first thing we do is we grab our smartphone to see the, the news alert or to see our email or to see our text messages. We, we grab to, to look at our social media posts or we grab the newspaper to look at the headlines. We, we're always trying to get something first in the morning. We, we need this information. And why do we do that? Well, oftentimes we do that because we're afraid of solitude. We're, we're afraid of being alone with God. Why? Why would we... Why would we be afraid to be alone with God? Well, there's a lot of reasons, right? We might not want to be alone with God because God may ask us to do something we don't want to do. Or he may give us an answer that that we don't want the answer. We may not want to be alone with God because he's going to ask us to give up something we don't want to give up. Or he's going to ask us to start something that we don't want to start. We may not want to be alone with God because we really don't want to feel bad about those things we're doing on the weekend. So if we could just avoid God, everything will be fine. A lot of people will not sit on the front row at most churches. Good job, Emily. Good job, Sam and Joanne. I'm proud of y'all. That's good. But, but in most churches around the world, why does anybody sit on the front row? It's just too close to the action. I mean, it is. We, we want to be just a little bit back, you know. Just, just a little bit back, not, not quite right in the middle of everything. We want to be encouraged, but we don't know how much we really want to be challenged. In other words, quite honestly, the reason that we oftentimes do not want to spend time alone with God is we're a little afraid that he might ask us to change. So if we avoid God, we won't have to change. We won't have to do anything. We can just keep filling up our lives with sports and hobbies or watching Hallmark Channel or scrolling through social media, and we can just avoid God because we don't really want to be with Him because He might ask us to change. So, question for your heart. Are you afraid to meet with God? Are you afraid to be alone with God? Are you afraid of of having solitude with God? Are you afraid of His grace? Because His grace will disrupt your life. It'll disrupt you in the sense that it will pull you away from trivial pursuits. And it will encourage you toward treasured purpose. Are you afraid to meet with God? Do you not want to be alone with God? 
Jesus was not afraid to be alone with God. Jesus purposely unplugged from the world around him and plugged into the God above him. It was a part of his sacred pattern of life. And we see in the scriptures that it wasn't just Jesus going out there to be chatty with God. Jesus very clearly understood how to sit quietly in a room by himself. He he knew that. Now some people would say, man, being still and quiet, that's a waste of time. Come on, there are things to do. Man, you need to be active. You need to live like you're dying. Don't be still and quiet. About 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah delivered a message to the people. It's in Isaiah 30, verse 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Did you catch that? God said that repentance and rest and quiet, confident trust in Him will make you strong. Stronger than you could ever be on your own. Quietness is strength. Quietness is fuel. That's the promise of God. That quietness actually makes you strong. And how do the people react to this promise from God? Isaiah goes on, but you were not willing. They weren't willing. God says repentance and rest and quiet strength in me, that will make you strong. And the people said, nah, nah, we're not willing to do what we have to to get that. We're not willing to cut the TV off. We're not willing to stop listening to talk radio. We're not willing to stop scrolling through social media. We're, we're just not willing to stop. We're not willing to stop a, a hundred things to have strength from God. We're, we're just going to stay where we are. And Isaiah says the people got weak. They got weak because they wouldn't give up to be alone with God. And how did they respond? Isaiah said, the people said, hey, no big deal. When trouble comes, we'll just ride our horses off into the sunset. And Isaiah said, that is so foolish. Do you not realize that trouble has fast horses? And trouble will chase you down, and it'll conquer you. And the only thing that'll be left is a a broken sign in your yard that said you used to live there. If we are unwilling to be quiet with God, we will be weak. We will. We'll be weak. We'll be weak and tossed about with everything. We'll be angry and frustrated and afraid and apathetic with everything we hear from the news and the stock market and our social media accounts. We will be thrown off. We will be weak. So, let's... Let's not be weak. Don't be weak. Be strong. Be willing to sit quietly in a room by yourself. Be willing to be still and quiet with God. Be strong. About a thousand years before Jesus was born, King David was having a hard time in life. He was being betrayed and he was being persecuted. This is what he wrote during that time. Psalm 62, verse 1. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. 
David found rescue, he found salvation in being still, in being quiet before God. And then he goes on to say this in verse 5, My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. David found hope from being silent and quiet before God. So, strength, rescue, salvation, and hope from being silent and quiet with God. That does not sound like a waste of time. It sounds like what our hearts and our minds need the most. Someone said it's surprising how loud silence can be. Don't believe that? Get in an argument with someone who won't talk. That is some loud, annoying silence, right? But silence with God, quietness with God, is not designed to be annoying and loud. It's designed to be encouraging and loud. What does that look like? David Mathis said this, Don't assume the voices in your head are God's. Assume they are yours. See, a moment ago we said quietness is our fuel, but you also have to fuel your quietness. See, when we spend quiet time, a a time of silence and solitude with God, what happens in that moment is it's full of future and present guarantees as we go into a world full of uncertainties. And so we have to remember that the uncertainty matters. So our quietness does not have to be uncertain. In fact, our quietness shouldn't be uncertain. We need to put gas in the tank of our quietness. What does that mean? Just think of it this way. Imagine that you wake up one morning and the first thing you hear or see is a headline that says something like this. By the end of the week, gas prices will double. That's the first thing that you hear when you wake up. Or imagine that the first thing you hear when you wake up is your spouse saying, hey, in the middle of the night, a water line under the driveway busted and our our driveway is a wreck. The guys fixed the water line, so we have water, but they said it could be 46 weeks before the driveway is repaired. And you're thinking, 46 weeks? What in the world? Now, imagine before you hear or see any of those things, that you were quiet with God first. And not just quiet with God, not just sitting in a room quietly by yourself, but in your quiet, you fueled your quiet. And you fueled your quiet with this. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand, O Lord, are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So that's the first thing you see or hear. And if the glory of God becomes the first thing that you hear and see, the the quiet, the fuel in your quiet, 
then when you hear about gas prices, your heart can say, well, God, technically you own every gallon of gas in the universe. So, I'll trust you today, and I'll be wise with my car. Or if the glory and majesty and power of God is the first thing you hear in the quiet, then when you hear about the busted driveway, you can say, Lord, 46 weeks sounds like a long time. But teach me to be thankful that I have indoor plumbing. You see, the the glory of God, it, it changes things. Uncertainty is coming. This afternoon will be uncertain. Tomorrow morning will be uncertain. Next Thursday will be uncertain. Five years from now is uncertain. But if we will learn to be quiet with God, we can fuel our uncertainties with the certainties of God. His glory, His majesty, let that be your first fuel. Let that be your first headline. Listen again to the simplicity of this moment in the life of Jesus. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. Silence, solitude, and quietness with God produces strength, rescue, salvation, and hope. But a lack of silence and solitude and quietness with God produces worry and fear and angry and frustration and grumbling and complaining and everything else that we could possibly imagine. So, don't be weak. Be strong. Be willing to sit in a room quietly by yourself with God and let his glory and his majesty fuel your life and your day. If you are not a Christian, God wants you to come to him. That's what God wants you to do with your life. Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate mortgage of sin. And he is inviting you right now to be a resident of his kingdom. He desires to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So we would just plead with you, come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus and live. What if you've already done that? What does God want you to do with your life? Well, God wants you to be quiet. (laughs) What does that look like in real life? I've shared this story with you before. I, I think it's timely again. I've often mentioned Benita Reisner. She had a two-month-old two boy named Paul, and Paul died. So she buried Paul, and, and six years after that tragedy in her life, she was diagnosed with a debilitating disease that is wreaking havoc on her body to this day. Six years after her diagnosis, her husband left her and the kids and eventually filed for divorce. She's had a very hard life. And, and one day she was just really struggling. So she called some friends together and, and they just talked and prayed and, and cried together. And then there was this long 
period of silence, a, a long time of quiet. They were still and quiet. And after that long silence, one of her friends said this, You know, when I think of you and pray for you, I keep seeing this image. It's of the disciples and Jesus' mother Mary, and they're weeping at the foot of the cross. They're huddled together trying to comfort each other, trying to make sense of all that has happened. But it just doesn't make sense. The sky is black. All hope looks lost. Their dreams have died. It seems that nothing good will ever come from this. To them, this day, Good Friday, is the darkest day they've ever known. And then her friend looked at her and said this, but the one thing that they do not know is Easter is coming. They didn't know it. Good Friday was the end of the story for them. They knew what Jesus had said, but they weren't experiencing it in the moment. He was dead. Hope was dead. Dreams were dead. But they didn't know. Or at the very least, they forgot that Easter is coming. The reason we're three or four Sundays away from the holiday and we're still talking about it is because it's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. See, part of the reason that we need to be quiet and still. Part of the reason that we need to be silent with God, part of the reason that we need to learn to have solitude with God is because in the quiet, something happens. Serious solitude produces something. And what it produces is this. That when the hard stuff is coming, when trouble is coming, when uncertainty is coming, when we know it's going to happen later that day, or we know it's going to happen later that week, when, when there's just things that we're anxious about and we're stressed out about or we're angry about or we're afraid of, when we know those things are happening, and even the things we don't know that are going to happen, part of what it means to be quiet with God, part of that solitude, is that we discover something in the quiet. We discover that for every moment of life, we can remember that Easter is coming. Easter is coming.